0: welcome to a brand new episode of People Are Wild. I'm Kim, your friendly neighborhood ER travel nurse of a host, and I'm all about getting down to business. This week's subject matter is too cool to delay, and since I've listened to foreigners cold as ice on a loop repeat for about an hour, and I've lit my trusty Duke and Duchess of Sussex prayer candles, I am more than ready, if you're ready, to talk about how people are wild. You ever hear about The Girl Who Lived? No, it's not a spin-off novel from J.K. Rowling, I think, but it's appropriate when talking about Gina Giese. Now, go back to your sophomore year of high school. Were you sweating AP classes and driving tests like I was? Full disclosure, I didn't get my driver's license until I was 18 for a reason, and that reason is, well, I was just lazy. Maybe you were involved with student council or your youth group at church. Either way, you were 15, 16 years old, and the world was yours for the taking. Sort of. You probably had a curfew in there somewhere. Not really, I guess, yours for the taking, but you definitely felt like it was better since freshman year was in the past, and you were inching your way towards your upperclassman years. Now for Gina Giese, all of 15 years old on September 12, 2004, she was with her mother as they pulled up to church for a school function. However, they realized soon after arriving, they were at the wrong church. But since they were already there, they decided to stay for services. Now, during this night in particular, a bat had made its way into the building and was starting to cause a bit of a ruckus. Parishioners tried to steer it away from them by swatting at it with their hymnals and prayer books and hats. Listen, I kind of get what they were doing. See, I used to run a trail at night that had bats doing their thing, and I'm sure if one of them swooped at my general direction, I might have some sort of instinctual reaction to get it out of my immediate area. But for all these parishioners knew, that bat could have just been Dracula looking to get his life back on track, or maybe it was the bat that was a distant relative of the bat that attacked Meredith Palmer. Who knows? But the fact of the matter is that this bat was eventually swatted to the floor by an usher. Something that I imagine was like a high five gone horribly wrong, or maybe another sort of people's elbow to the bat. I don't know. Anyways, Gina, bat enthusiast even to this day, more on that later, she moved quickly to rescue the bat from the floor and picked it up by the tip of each wing and carried it outside. Batman is shooketh. As soon as she stepped through the door, that bat sank a fang into her left forefinger and refused to let go. She reflexively tried to get it to let go, and eventually it did as she relocated it into a nearby tree. But she had been bit on that left forefinger, and so her mother proceeded to wash the wound out with soap and water, and they left it at that. Now, would this be a good time to talk a little bit about rabies? I think so, because that's actually what this whole entire episode's about. So let me take it from the World Health Organization, who really explained it best. Rabies is an infectious viral disease that is almost always fatal following the onset of clinical symptoms. In up to 99% of cases, domestic dogs are responsible for rabies virus transmission to humans. Yet, rabies can affect both domestic and wild animals. It is spread to people through bites or scratches, usually via saliva. Rabies is present on all continents except Antarctica, with over 95% of human deaths occurring in the Asia and Africa regions. Rabies is one of the neglected tropical diseases that predominantly affects poor and vulnerable populations who live in remote rural locations. Although effective human vaccines and immunoglobulins exist for rabies, they are not readily available or accessible to those in need. Globally, rabies deaths are rarely reported, And children between the ages of 5 and 14 years are frequent victims. Every year, more than 15 million people worldwide receive a post-bite vaccination. This is estimated to prevent hundreds of thousands of rabies deaths annually. See, the thing about rabies is that it's 100% preventable in humans thanks to the rabies vaccine, which was first created by Louis Pasteur, the man who loved milk and rabies, I guess. The vaccine can be administered at two different times, given pre- or post-rabies exposure. Now, people who are at high risk of encountering rabies or rabid animals, such as veterinarians, laboratory workers, or animal control officers, should receive the pre-exposure vaccine as a preventative measure. Post-exposure vaccination is recommended for all persons, even those previously vaccinated, who have come into contact with suspected rabid animals. But in order for the post-exposure vaccine to work, it must be administered before the onset of symptoms. If not, an infected person is expected to live only seven days after the appearance of symptoms. It's kind of like The Ring. Well, no, not really, because it's a terrible, terrible way to go. So maybe it is like The Ring? I don't know. That movie was weird. Anyways, at first, rabies induces flu-like symptoms such as weakness, fever, headache, and overall discomfort. For Gina, she became extremely fatigued on October 13th, and by the next day she was experiencing double vision. She was also experiencing tingling in her left arm. Now the infamous rabies symptoms that we all think about, the old yeller sort of thing with the excessive salivation, hydrophobia, which is the fear of water due to difficulty swallowing, hallucinations, agitation, these symptoms typically appear just days before death. For Gina, she was rushed to the Children's Hospital of Wisconsin in Milwaukee on the 18th of October with slurred speech, fever, and vomiting. A skin sample from her neck was analyzed by the CDC and resulted with a positive test for rabies. When she arrived at the hospital, Geese couldn't talk, sit, or stand, and fell in and out of consciousness. She also needed to be intubated in order to help her breathe. She was critically ill, and it looked as if death might be on the doorstep within the day. Her future was grim, her prognosis poor. She hadn't had time to get the vaccine prior to her symptoms appearing because she didn't think anything of it. Her family didn't think anything of it. And at the time, a rabies diagnosis with no vaccinations meant certain death. Or did it? Enter Dr. Rodney Willoughby, which is like such a fun name to say, especially because he's a pediatric doctor and not just any kind of doctor. Dr. Willoughby is a pediatric infectious disease specialist at the Children's Hospital in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He had read up on Rabie's medical literature upon Gina's arrival. And luckily for Gina, his readings inspired a radical new idea to take hold in his mind. He would later say, quote, We had to devise a strategy to quickly figure out what we might do to treat this. And I decided not to try to read how to treat rabies. There were a lot of articles on how to treat it, but no one survives. So why read those? He determined that rabies neither kills by, quote, destroying neurons or causing inflammation in the brain, end quote, but instead excitotoxicity, which overstimulates the brain and causes the cells to die. Dr. Willoughby also concluded that the human immune system can fight off the virus if given enough time before rabies reaches the person's brain. So I actually liked how one article I looked up translated all of this to mean that the rabies virus causes the brain and its neurotransmitters to go haywire, which ultimately leads to death. So Gina's survival was a matter of time. It was a race against the clock. Her brain had to be protected before rabies had infiltrated it. So Dr. Willoughby assembled a team of experts to discuss his theorized treatment plan, which later became known as the Milwaukee Protocol, named in honor of the Children's Hospital in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where it was discovered and where it was implemented. Now to save Gina's brain and allow time for her immune system to work, the protocol called for her to be put into a coma. Now the idea of inducing a coma left doctors wrestling with the possible side effects, even if they did save her life, would Gina be left severely disabled when she woke up? The difficult decision was left to her parents, who agreed to proceed with the never-before-tested protocol. Dr. Willoughby would later say, quote, Gina's parents were remarkably altruistic in recognizing this was going to be a fatal disease, and maybe we could do something where we could learn something for the next person. Sort of by releasing Gina, essentially I think they got her back end quote. Rabies kills by compromising the brain's ability to regulate breathing, salivation, and heartbeat. Ultimately, victims drown in their own spit or blood, or cannot breathe because the muscle spasms in their diaphragms. One-fifth die from fatal heart arrhythmia, and doctors believe that Gina might survive if they suppressed her brain function by sedating her while her immune system attacked the rabies virus. Doctors administered a variety of drugs to Gina, ketamine to ward off rabies and protect her brain, midazolam or Versed, to complement ketamine and lessen its tendency to cause hallucinations, riding a K-train, going down a K-hole. Anybody who's been on ketamine or has given ketamine knows what I'm talking about. And she was administered two antiviral medications. Now, Dr. Willoughby would state that he and his team were basically attempting to Quote, shut the brain down and wait for the cavalry to come, End quote. Six days after first receiving the concoction of drugs, a spinal tap revealed that Gina's body was producing rabies antibodies. This was a good sign of her body's recovery. Now, after Gina was taken out of her coma, she was placed in rehabilitation to relearn how to talk, stand, walk, things that we do, activities of our daily life that we probably all take for granted. Now, in today's terms, despite her doctor's previous worries, Gina is pretty much normal, this according to Dr. Willoughby, and she most recently did graduate from college. The Milwaukee Protocol itself, which was first tested on Gina, is now recognized worldwide as a means to possibly save unvaccinated rabies patients. But despite the amazing recovery Gina experienced, The method has stirred up some controversy in regards to its effectiveness. Out of 41 patients who have so far received the protocol, only 6 have survived. So why do some patients survive while others don't? Some scientists are skeptical whether the actual protocol is the factor allowing patients to live. New research has shown that humans may be able to survive rabies without vaccination or treatment at all, I'm not saying, like, go out there and get bit by something and see if you're one of these people, though. Seriously. I work in the ER. I've given out a lot of rabies shot series and a lot of post-exposure vaccinations. It saves lives. Now, a study done in Peru where vampire bats, which do exist, and are a known rabies carrier, are especially common in that region, was led by Amy Gilbert of the CDC and it found that 7 out of the 63 people evaluated tested positive for rabies antibodies. Of those 7 people, only one had previously taken the rabies vaccine. Now this meant that the other 6 had produced antibodies on their own after being exposed to the virus, and had survived. Other evidence also supports the theory that humans can survive rabies, Not a single other documented virus has 100% fatality rate in humans. Therefore, could rabies really be the sole outlier we believe it to be? Even in animals who carry rabies, the virus isn't completely fatal. 14% of dogs do survive, and bats can survive as well. Scientists have brought forth the idea that maybe the six human survivors have been infected with a weakened strain of rabies, which then allowed their immune system to prevail by creating antibodies. This is possible since different animals carry varied strains of the virus. Now, until more in-depth research is done on the Milwaukee Protocol and on rabies in general, it remains somewhat unclear as to why some people triumph over the world's deadliest virus while others do not. In a 2005 report on her case in the New England Journal of Medicine, Dr. Willoughby speculated that Gina may have been infected with a rare, weakened version of the virus. Today, he chalks up Giese's survival to aggressive intensive care, the decision to sedate her, and 10% sheer luck. Now, which specific element of that combination made the difference and whether the antivirals she was given helped save her isn't really known. In fact, he goes on to say, quote, in all honesty, we were probably just pretty lucky, end quote. Dr. Willoughby theorizes that only another survivor and then animal and clinical trials will show if the therapy works and why it works. Now, the CDC plans to test the protocol on rabies-infected ferrets. Keep in mind, some of this articles and and research that I did for this episode are a little bit dated, so I haven't found if this has been completed or done or is in process yet, but it was in the works to have testing done on rabies-infected ferrets. There were groups of Thai and Canadian doctors who found unsuccessfully using the Milwaukee Protocol, they tried to treat a 33-year-old man with rabies. It had been recommended in the Journal of Neurovirology two years prior to the publication of this specific article, which I believe was in 2012-ish, that physicians exercise caution in using the Milwaukee Protocol because it is too expensive and lacks a clear scientific rationale. And when you talk about expensive, Dr. Willoughby says that it cost about $800,000 to treat geese. Now, speaking of Gina, like I said before, she did graduate from college with a degree actually in biology. Today, she still gives speeches uh, throughout the nation regarding her survival and being the first person to survive rabies without having been vaccinated post-exposure, and She has always been an avid animal lover. In fact, she has aspirations of opening up an animal sanctuary. So maybe it's no surprise that Gina is still very much involved in bat advocacy. Yeah, she actually goes out and gives speeches in these bat advocacy groups. And as she states, quote, I love bats more than ever. It's the disease, not the animal's fault. I never associated the bat with rabies. The bat was just the carrier, end quote. And she also had this interesting quote that um, I definitely want to make a note of. She says, quote, I'm not scared of them at all. I'm more passionate about animals than I was before. Animals are my happiness and reason for living, end quote. So doing some of the research for this, there are some lasting long-term side effects that she has had, and she has been able to use animal therapy, especially equine therapy, to help her with some of the conditions and some of the long-term effects that she has sustained. She does have permanent neurological damage from the rabies itself. She has a traumatic brain injury from being in the coma. She does mention that she has incorrect spine and hip anatomy. She's had back surgery, knee surgery, and she's been diagnosed with anxiety disorder and PTSD. She has had to receive physical occupational therapy as well as speech therapy in order to help with some of the troubles that she's had with walking, running, and balance, and the fact that she did initially speak more slowly than before becoming infected. There have been some videos that you can look up on YouTube with her giving speeches that she has done a lot better. You see her progression throughout the years in terms of recovering her ability to talk a little bit less slowly, a little bit more conversational in her cadence. So you see that there's improvement even long-term going on almost 15 years for her. And I will say this, if you or your loved one is unknowingly infected with rabies and for whatever reason you're unable to receive the vaccination in time before symptoms show up, I would totally go for the Milwaukee Protocol if you're up to it, if your body has enough strength. I think that it's best to throw every resource and treatment option and intervention you can at that virus, and you possibly might have an outcome like Gina Giese, the girl who lived. Now, with that being said, I'm definitely going to put some links in the show notes to the articles and a couple of videos. There was a documentary that was done about her that you can watch. And you can really see how she's recovered from it and everything that her family's had to go through. I just can't even imagine being the parents making that choice of really a 50-50 shot in the face of something that has had a hundred percent fatality rate and saying, go for it. But at the same time, again, you throw everything you can and you do whatever you can, especially for your child. So Those parents, Mr. and Mrs. Giese, are amazing people for trusting Dr. Willoughby and his team at Children's Hospital in Milwaukee with Gina's life. So thanks again for joining me for another episode. As always, feel free to reach out to me or suggest future episode topics by sending me a message via email at peoplearewildpod at gmail.com. I wish you nothing but a fantastic week ahead. Practice random acts of kindness. And remember, vaccines save lives.